it matters because passive income is a concept that is so widely misunderstood that it prevents people from ever trying to earn any of it. And simply understanding how passive income works is imperative to your ability to retire because being able to be paid from work that you've previously done is essentially what retirement is, right? If you have diverse income streams, it means that you can mix and match all of the different ways that you want to work and how you want to spend your time. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we are doing some myth busting and talking about passive income. All right, let's do it. Yes, I love this topic because we are firm believers that if you just focus on income, you can solve a lot of problems. And over the last five years, as we made the shift from traditional W-2 employees to self-employed creative entrepreneurs or whatever you want to call ourselves, we've had to try a lot of different things, which means we've created income both passively and actively. And we've learned quite a bit along the way. So knowing the difference between passive and active income really changed the way that we approach opportunities and has shaped the way that we build our business. Agreed. I will also say in the last couple of years, there's been such a rise in interest in passive income. I think you know, especially going through the pandemic and a lot of the content that we see on social media and people trying to figure out other ways, better ways, more preferable ways to earn income. I feel like passive income is almost like pinnacle life, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I just wake up and, you know, I, I wake up and there's money just waiting for me. And, yeah. You know, it's like the flavor <laughs> of the month. It yeah. is. But it's like well discussed, but it's also widely misunderstood. For sure. So like it's got that, it's got that thing going for it. For sure. For sure. So if you've read our book uh, or listened to our podcast long enough, then you probably heard us talk about our purpose of income framework and the biggest difference between the first two stages, which is security and flexibility, and the last two stages, which is independent independence and freedom. And really, this is all about making the shift throughout your career or through the course of your career from relying on or depending on active income. So in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the differences between active and passive income, why it matters. And then we're going to address some of the biggest misperceptions about passive income based on the hundreds, maybe thousands of conversations (laughs) we've had about it over the last couple of years and our own personal experience. Right. So let's get started with the difference between active and passive income. Starting with active income, active income refers to income that you receive by performing a service. So people tend to use words like wages, tips, salary, commission. All of those are kind of synonyms for active income. But regardless of what you call it, it requires your participation or your engagement to earn it. You can really think of it as transactional because it's kind of tied to a specific effort that you're doing. Now, in contrast, passive income is income that's earned even after the work is done. Passive income can take a lot of forms, including real estate, you know, ebooks. If you listen to our last episode, you got a primer on how book royalties work. So book and music royalties are a good example of passive income, even subscription or membership services. Just a, there's a number of things that you that qualify as as passive income. Now, each passive income source requires varying levels of upkeep, which we'll talk about shortly when we kind of debunk some of these myths. But what they have in common is that at some point there is an inverse relationship between effort and income. You are still able to make income without trading 
effort. Yeah. And so when we talk about the differences, I want to be clear that we're not trying to like pit them against each other or force anyone that's listening uh, into picking one or the other. In fact, I'd recommend treating your income the same way you treat your investments. So hopefully they're diversified and reallocated over time as your circumstances change. But there are pros and cons to both. So there are a lot of advantages to active income, like a consistent paycheck. And it usually comes with benefits that are subsidized and much less expensive than they would be if you were to try to get them on your own. Think health insurance or, you know, any of the other primary benefits that you oftentimes get when you are an employee. Or another great example, like, you know, just not thinking solely about health insurance, but obviously 401ks and any other type of employer-sponsored retirement plan, right? All of those things are sort of subsidized benefits and one of the huge perks of being a employee and actively working for income. But I think the biggest downside is that you are in this sort of agreement where you have to trade your time expertise to earn it. And that's a problem because just like a piece of equipment, eventually you will get tired. Your skills will diminish. Your productivity will decline. And then what do you do, right? The inability to actually predict that decline uh, in terms of productivity, I think, is one of the biggest flaws or blind spots that we've seen in the way that a lot of people manage their career. So we tend to approach this very optimistically, right? right? Like I am a six-figure earner, and therefore I will always be a six-figure, if not more. We never envision that we will earn less. We never envision or can ever able to properly estimate when we think our skills would be less in demand. We all just kind of think that all I need to do is keep working hard, keep showing up, keep working, and then I will be rewarded with predictable, consistent amounts of income going forward. I've always said that there are some thresholds that you don't really know that you've crossed until it's too late. And I think that's true. This could be uh, a reference to your health. It could be a reference to a relationship. Or I think just that inner fight, that dog, that source of power and energy that you might be able to tap into very easily in your 20s and 30s, but then you get into your 40s and it's like, all right, man, like I, I feel like that fire is there, but it's not. <laughs> you got that dog. I don't, I don't have that dog in me the same <laughs> way, right? Like, And I'm trying really hard not to use a sports reference here, but it's true, right? Like you see it with boxers in particular. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, you're the same person. But you're not really the same writer that you were before. And I think it's true for a lot of people that are workers. Uh, The other downside, I think, is just the lack of wage growth associated with traditional W-2 jobs. So wages aren't growing at the same rate as the cost of living for the majority of Americans. And unless you're in a sales or commission-based role, there's rarely a direct correlation between the amount of effort and work that you put in and your income. So you find yourself kind of spending the same, if not more amounts of time at work to earn a dollar. And if you're lucky, you get a cost of living adjustment every year or every couple of years, but you're not really able to buy the same amount of things today that you would have been with that same dollar a few years ago. This is at the heart of inflation. And I think a lot of people are feeling that right now. And again, I know it sounds a bit inhumane or insensitive, but there's this well-known metaphor with reference to workers, which is that we're all like a cog in a machine. And again, that sounds like so like uh, mean, robotic, robotic, if you will, like insensitive, whatever you want to call it. But like, if you think about a cog, right, it doesn't matter. Like it's just a gear or a cog, whatever it is, right? It could be made with the finest equipment and it will be like the thing that just keeps the machine going and it is prized and it is taken care of. But over time, like it deteriorates, like it's made of metal, it will 
piece will snap off, even though you could never imagine a piece of metal snapping off. It might get rusty. It might slow down. And you might even be able to repair it, right? Like there may be different demands for what that machine is supposed to produce today versus let's say a year ago or two years ago. And you might even still be able to do that. But even if you do all of those things right, like you also know in the back of your head, right? Like not that a cog in the machine has a consciousness, but you get where I'm going here. Outside of that factory, somebody is working on some new machine that does not require a cog. And that is the reality of the world that we all live in. And so while it sounds brutal, well, I think what's true for parts is also true for people, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all get tired, we all break down, and ultimately it is the machine or the company's job to replace it and to make the best decision for the machine, not necessarily the cog. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, on the flip side. <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> on the flip side with passive income, the biggest pro is that it can work much harder than you can. It can work 24-7, 365, and just never get tired. Another pro of passive income is that a lot of it can be earned online. The size and the scale of the internet is one of the reasons that we join millions of other people in, jo- in building a digital-first business. So. Yeah. Those are two really easy pros. I do want to go into the downsides because they're just as real as the downsides with active income. One downside of passive income is the upfront work and time required to build it. Sometimes getting a passive income stream started requires upfront cash. And other times it just requires what the people in the business call sweat equity or your ability to tolerate a really steep learning curve. If you have other obligations like a family or a demanding job, it can be really challenging to make the time to turn a passive income trickle into a passive income stream. Right. Another downside to passive income is that it can be inconsistent. We have a friend of ours that describes the early days of their business as feast or famine, and we can certainly relate to that in some extents. Now, even if feast or famine is a really extreme example, it's true that a passive income stream is rarely as consistent and predictable as a paycheck. Like, you know, the same amount coming in every other week is just pretty rare in the passive income game. Right. So if your plan is to live off of passive income streams, having multiple contingency plans is really key. So some of the things that we've talked about on the podcast before, whether it's creating a doomsday budget or an emergency fund that has more than the recommended three to six months of living expenses. Those are all of the contingencies that you have to have if you are planning to live off of passive income streams that you may not need as direly. Is that a word? Direly? I I know what you meant. uh, I'm sure y'all knew what I meant. I was rocking. You may not need it. (laughs) You may not need it the same way that you would if you had a consistent paycheck. Yeah, this brings me back to when we were real estate investors. uh, And I remember, you know, this is back when I was like crunching out spreadsheets, like nobody's business. And I remember preparing to make that purchase. And we had, you know, these estimates around what the rent would be. And again, I just grossly overestimated how smooth and simple that process would be. Even though I had built-in contingencies, I still kind of assumed that it would happen pretty quickly and consistently. And that was not the case, right? Like it was nearby. I did all those things correctly. It was like, I want to say about a mile or two away from our home. And I just still remember like, gosh, I could just there weren't nearly as many people clicking and I wasn't getting nearly as many inquiries uh, to look at the property. Then I started wondering whether or not the rent that I was asking was a little bit too high. But 
I think in that same day, I might wonder whether or not it was too low. Long story short, I finally said, you know what? Like, this is why management companies exist. And even that, I had to find one, I had to interview them, have that conversation, give them access to the property, and then go through the paperwork. Like, it's that's work, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's work and that's time that we have this property that we are covering the notes on. Uh, not notes, it was one note, but... Uh, Blending that plus the HOA and all of the other things. But long story short, like there was time and that time cost us a lot of money, right? This is all in pursuit of a passive income stream, right? right. And then, you know, you go through all that time and it's like, all right, you did all of that and you didn't really make any money. But you're patting yourself on the back because you went through the process. And then I think even in year two, when we finally started to make some money and we were actually able to raise the rent, we're like, all right, this is really, really cool. And then you get that first repair. It was like, hey, man, there's a water issue. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and there it goes. Like all the money that you made, you pat yourself on the back for it. You get to write it off. But I will also say this because you mentioned us having a or making the transition from sort of real estate to now in this web based business. I think there's also this misperception, and I don't know if we're going to get into this or not, but that web based businesses don't get obsolete. Oh, yeah. And, and they can be obsolete as well, right? Absolutely. Even if you think about some of the things that we did uh, in 2017 when we first started, you know, blogging. Like those things, those tools, those plugins, a lot of those things don't really work anymore, right? They didn't, you know, necessarily stand the test of time. And the things that are available now primarily focused around artificial intelligence, like that's sort of the the thing that's going to help people grow and take them to the next level. So all of that to say, even if you are sort of pouring yourself into these passive income streams, you want to factor in that it's not always going to be consistent and they can grow regardless of what they are obsolete in some way, uh, the same way you might be as a uh, active employee working for somebody else. Yes. So why does any of this matter? And it matters because passive income is a concept that is so widely misunderstood that it prevents people from ever trying to earn any of it. And simply understanding how passive income works is imperative to your ability to retire because being able to be paid from work that you've previously done is essentially what retirement is, right? If you have diverse income streams, it means that you can mix and match all of the different ways that you want to work and how you want to spend your time. So this kind of means that the key to financial freedom isn't really going to be in the rigidity of your budget or some of these basic math moves that we make. It's really in your ability to think differently about your income and how you want to earn it. I know there's this old trope about millionaires having an average of seven streams of income and people get super overwhelmed trying to think of seven different big ways to make money, which is a problem because then they miss the forest for the trees, which is kind of why we wanted to discuss the misperceptions and get into kind of the mental hurdles that you need to get over before you start this pursuit. All right. So let's bust some of these myths. The first is that passive income doesn't require any work, right? Like it is purely passive. And I want to just go ahead and reiterate that is categorically false. Even when this income stream, I think you call it a trickle or something like that. When the trickle (laughs) turns into a stream, even when it has matured into uh, its big boy, a big girl area, and it's a stream, it still requires some active work uh, or management. uh, And that amount may vary. So depending on what you choose, depending on your profit margins, 
you can outsource the level of work that is required to maintain or grow that stream to somebody else, just like we did for our rental properties. We found a property manager and they handled everything that we could think of, right? Now, they they could have also managed repairs, but they sort of left it up to us. It was like, all right, well, if you want us to do it, here's how much it's going to cost. This is how much our contractors are going to charge. Or we might be able to say, well, uh, that sounds a little bit too much, or I would prefer that we handle it. Uh, But that's everything from upfront repairs and maintenance to ongoing maintenance, like you do have the ability to sort of manage uh, those things on your own. So whether it's being the person that gets that call in the middle of the night that there's a water issue or that there's a broken toilet or something like that, or you can gladly say, hey, this is why I'm paying you X percent. I think in our case, it was like 8% of the rent collected so that we can continue to live our lives, focus on other sources of income or not, and not really have to worry about it. Now, even though passive income requires work, I think it's also important to reiterate that it's not the same kind of work that active income requires because you're not simply trading time for money. So one of the questions you need to train yourself, uh, especially whenever you're having these conversations or trying to evaluate one income stream versus another, whether it's active versus passive or one passive income source to another is compared to what, right? So a real estate investment, for example, may be more passive than the income you earn on a 40-hour-a-week job, but it may not be as passive than the income generated from a stock portfolio, right? Like that can be money that, you know, may require a couple of hours and analysis at work and maybe a quarter goes by and then you're somewhere and things worked out and you cash out and you make more money than you would have made, let's say, at your day job over, you know, a matter of three months, right? And again, it's not three months of you actively working. It's you making some decisions, sitting back, waiting, analyzing, pulling the trigger, and then there you are, right? The magic of making money in the stock market. Even with a real estate investment, if you're thinking about something like a short-term rental, like an Airbnb, that's going to be far less uh, passive than a long-term rental, right? Like you've got one tenant that sort of agrees that they're going to live there long-term, but with a short-term rental, like there's maybe 15, 20 different people sort of going in and out of that property. That's a bunch of cleanings. That's a bunch of marketing and all that stuff. But all of that could be significantly more passive than the income that you could have earned by simply owning a REIT, right? A real estate investment trust that pays you quarterly dividends, right? So there's a spectrum here. There's a spectrum sort of like a passive versus income. And I think you owe it to yourself to always ask like compared to what? Anytime you hear someone asking that question or talking about passive income, you want to say, well, okay, well, tell me more about that compared to what? And that's not always going to be upfront cost or upfront time. Sometimes it could just be like the way that the process of going through and creating that income makes you feel, right? There might be like a physiological toll that it takes while you're doing one thing. It just might stir up some anxiety for you relative to something else that you might actually found fun and you enjoy doing it and teaching others or just sort of fun, right? Like, so it just kind of depends. And I think there's always going to be that last sort of final qualitative factor that I think we should be factoring into that decision-making process in addition to looking at the numbers. I think the psychological toll is something that people tend to underestimate. They focus on the time or the money, but they don't focus on the impact to your mental health, especially when you're talking about a volatile investment strategy like options trading or cryptocurrency, something that requires that you have a stomach for big dips and big gains. You have to consider 
you know, how passive that is for you. Is that a distraction that's going to upset your family life or your your nine to five job? Because if it is, it's not worth it. Like pick something else. All right. So the second myth that I want to bust is around passive income being some kind of hoax or scam or far off dream, just something for some people, but not for others. Right. Again, this is false. Right. If this is you, if you're a person that feels like you're always going to have to work forever, I want you to think about all the times that you've received money that you didn't have to work for. If you've ever earned interest on a savings account, that's passive income. If you've ever contributed to a retirement account, like a 401k or an IRA, you're actually building a passive income stream for future you, right? right? Even if you don't participate in a traditional retirement account, you're still building a passive income stream for somebody because you're making regular payments to Social Security from your paycheck. I will say that before I started writing about money, I would call that kind of like effortless income found money or windfall money. And half the time I wouldn't even notice it because it just wasn't in my, it wasn't in my focus, which kind of proves my point because whenever you feel like something isn't for you, it changes the way that you interpret everything that you experience. Any conversation or misunderstanding about passive income is almost viewed as evidence that it isn't for you. That's how your brain registers that. And you really, really have to escape that way of thinking and recognize that passive income is a huge part of the American economy and labor market. We all rely on passive income to some extent. And once you understand that, you can start to unlock the levers that increase the amount of passive income that you start to unlock for yourself. Yeah. And I think for the people that think that passive income might be a host, I I would I would challenge them to think about some of the things that they might already be doing in their everyday lives and to reimagine those as actual passive income sources for somebody else. So if you've ever looked for a recipe online for something and you click on it and then you go to that blog post and there's like a bunch of like pictures and like you're scrolling forever trying to get to the actual recipe and you're seeing all these ads, that's intentional, right? Like somebody put those ads there. They put the actual important part of the recipe towards the bottom like after like five or six scrolls but they're getting paid it might just be pennies but like they're getting paid every single time that you scroll and they're certainly getting paid if you decide to stop look and click on that particular ad before you get to the actual recipe so that's a blog post that is an article uh it's typically going to have some type of media company like google ads or something attached to it right though that's a great way that a lot of people earn income same is true if you just bought something or you're trying to fix something in your home a friend of mine a shout out to rob who's in fort worth just took it upon himself to repair uh, his uh, dryer because he did not want to go and buy a new one. And he posted on Facebook. He was like, yeah, I found this video. I think I'm going to try to do it myself. And we all conned him because we thought he was going to electrocute himself. He got <laughs> he it right. <laughs> he was fine. He got it right. But he clicked on an ad. Uh, I'm sorry. He clicked on a YouTube video. And when I saw the video, I was like, oh, well, there it is. There's a couple ads that he had to click through or, or wait and watch. And somebody who created that video and posted it on the channel earned income in order for Rob to sit there and watch it. Uh, Again, same is true with long-term rentals, right? So it doesn't matter if we're talking about real estate or sort of tangible assets or digital assets in the case of a blog post or a YouTube video or a podcast that might be answering a question. For all we know, 10 years from now, somebody might say, hey, what's the difference between active and passive income? Click on this thing and, and go forward. I think one of my favorite ones, and this will be the last example, 
is people who have like a digital product or course or something like that. And then they have people who've taken the course who are advocates for it or evangelists, if you will. And they then promote that course to other people and they earn income from it. The person who created the course also earns income when that other person who promoted it is selling it. Right. And so it's a great way to sort of grow the course to reach more people, but also for that person to earn more money. So all of this to say, right, like these things are changing very, very quickly. They're changing. I think the pace of change is increasing as well. And this is one of the other reasons why we wanted to talk about it, because I think we just wanted to stop for a second and say, hey, guys, here's what's really, really happening. Now, this generation, I think in particular, will need to take even greater responsibility for our retirement than previous generations, because there are a lot of other factors sort of playing into uh, future sources of income. And as a result, our long term financial planning couple come to mind. One is Social Security. Uh, we've been hearing about this for a long time, but now it feels like this is literally around the corner. A recent article basically says that the U.S. Social Security system main trust fund reserves are estimated to be depleted in 10 years. So basically by 2033. This doesn't mean it's all going to go away, but what it does mean is for the people who are reliant on Social Security as a future source of income might actually have to accept a reduced payout relative to what they're earning now. The second one I would say is this continuation of, I would call it a decline in employer responsibility, right? We all know the story back in the day, people used to have pensions. Nowadays, it's more like, yeah, you're kind of on your own. Here's access to a plan that you can opt into, even though we're starting to see, I think the Biden administration just made or passed something that suggested that they're going to make it mandatory, but it doesn't take effect for a few years now. But all that to say, like we are for the mass majority of people who are employees on our own in terms of trying to save and amass enough money so that we can invest in things that create future sources of income, we are on our own. And so if we don't figure out how to do that and all of those ins and outs or agree to have someone else do it for us, we're going to be in a really, really tough predicament in the future. And then the last one I would say is this increase in interpersonal responsibility or what I would just say a complete degradation of community, right? Like, I think that might change just out of necessity in the future. But for the vast majority of people, I feel like we all sort of go about this process, assuming that it's it's, it's me. It's me. It's my family. It's my household. It's my children. Like, that's who I care about. Like, there's not much of a sense of, hey, we're in this together. Let's find ways to sort of practice cooperative economics and save money as a community, not nearly to the extent as it was uh, in earlier times. I wasn't born there, right? Like I've always sort of been part of this sort of individualistic society. And so I just think the combination of all of these forces, like the weakening of a uh, federal or public system, the sort of increased uh, pushing off of responsibility from the private sector onto individuals, and then the individual continued focus on themselves and not just sort of other people around them. I think all of those things combined are really sort of adding to the challenge and the need for more people to figure out not just what they're going to do to sort of advance in their careers, but how are we going to solve for the future income needs that we all have when we aren't able to actually wake up and continue to work at the same levels to earn active income. Yes. Not to mention, on top of all of that, people are living longer than they were before when you look at life expectancy within the U.S. Now, if you compare us to other wealthy nations, you'll see very clearly that we're falling behind. But in general, except for a few outliers at the state level, you can expect to live longer than previous generations, right? 
which leads to the third and final myth, which is that you have to wait until your retirement age to even engage in passive income or live off of it. And that's false, because I think it's worth noting that the definition of retirement that we're all familiar with was created in the 1920s when life expectancy wasn't even 65, right? People didn't retire. They just died. And that makes a difference. The model of slowly compounding interest for decades in a retirement account that you shouldn't touch until you're 59 and a half is fine. But we know that there's a growing community of people like us who put their cash to work in these income generating investments like real estate or digital businesses or brokerage accounts and shift their investment strategies so that they can subsidize their living expenses through passive income earlier in life and leave the traditional workforce earlier in life. So I think that's a really important myth to bust because a lot of people feel like they have time to build passive income. They they don't have to build it. They plan on just living off of it from social security to the retirement accounts. But the factors that you just mentioned kind of add an extra bit of motivation to start earlier rather than waiting until you're you're much older. Yeah, you definitely don't want to wait until you need income to start thinking about or acting on the process of creating it, right? Like right. this is really something that you want to do uh, while you're earning other sources so that you're sort of preparing for the future. That's the whole point, right? You don't wait until you're hungry to start growing a tree, right? You know what I mean? Like you need to start planting the seeds now so that to your best estimation, right? None of us can predict the future, but you know we can look at history and, and, and use that to gauge what to expect in the future to some extent. Like you really want to make sure that you're planting those seeds and in some cases able to see results from that activity now so that you have a greater sense of what you can expect on your own aside from any of the other issues that we've said, right? This is part of where that individualistic uh, sort of mentality really needs to kick in. And I'm really hoping that this episode and several other episodes triggers a lot of folks to say, hey, I don't have enough based on where I am right now. I don't think I'm going to have enough. And as a result, these are some of the things that I'm going to be doing to ensure that I'm okay in my uh, future years. Love it. Final thoughts? No, that was not my final thought. Uh, I, I got a bad habit of doing that. It's like my pre-final thought, but I will, uh, I will, I will add one more thing. <laughs> All right, my final thought is uh, actually inspired by Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. For those that are unfamiliar, but one of the things that he believes is that we should communicate how hard something is going to be from the very beginning, because unrealistic beliefs about scope or effort is actually what kills stamina. So if you think something is going to be easy or quick, you're just going to end up quitting when it's not easy or quick. So if you want to achieve something real, like enough passive income to live off of, you really need to know how hard it's going to be up front because it requires stamina. And I'm telling you from experience, when it comes to multiple streams of income, the trickles may be easy and they're important, but creating a stream can be very difficult. But your ability to pursue life on your own terms is going to require you to build these alternative income streams, these alternative means of income. And your financial strategy should ultimately be designed to support the laziest version of you, which is where the passive part comes in. At some point in your life, you're going to want to be somebody who doesn't want to trade time for money or go through another demoralizing interview process for work you know you can do. Or you may not be willing to commute to a cubicle every day because that's hard, too. So, yes, building passive income streams is hard, but it's worth it. So my final thought is to start small 
and keep building from there. You know, can I add something to that is is that, you know, just kind of thinking about the idea of trickles and streams. I think we get so locked into the idea of turning a trickle into a stream. And sometimes like a trickle is just a trickle and that's fine. Yeah, right? Like you've got a trickle, have 10 cumulative trickles, trickles. <laughs> 50 trickles <laughs> instead of like continuing to like beat your head against the wall to try that's to turn that point. thing into a stream. Like that's okay too. But if you've unlocked it and it's easy and you like it, there's nothing wrong with keeping that thing going mm-hmm. and just finding something else because you still need more. Okay. The other thing I will say, this is my final, final thought. And it's kind of a pet peeve, but, you know, we talk a lot about our mission, which is to inspire better conversations about money. And when uh, we talk about what's wrong with the way that people talk about money today, I think one of the things is this habit that we have uh, around binary thinking, right? We always frame things up as either or, black or white, good or bad, stocks versus real estate. And I think active versus passive income fall into that same category. And the truth is nobody's forcing you to choose or to evaluate one over the other. We're just doing it because we know that oftentimes it's how people think about it. And it seems to be a bit of a contentious issue. But instead of thinking about them as either or, like I would rather you think about them as both, like you likely need both. The vast majority of us just need more income. So if you're able to work two active jobs, as is the case of people who are overemployed, uh, if you are able to do that comfortably without degrading your health or causing any other issues, then congratulations. If you can't do that and you need to find a passive income stream or you just prefer to do that, then you can do that. Uh, But the reality is I think the bigger question is around figuring out exactly how much you need and then figuring out what path you want to take to actually get there. So I'm not here to say one is better or the other. I think more income is better than less income. And if you decide that your preference is to work towards doing something that you enjoy or doing something that you just conveniently have access or the ability to do, then by all means, do that. But I think no one's forcing you. And we're certainly not going to jump on the bandwagon of saying, hey, active income is bad. It's all about presenting what the challenges are on both sides and helping people make a decision that's unique and uh, it's best suited for them. Love it. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. Y'all already know reviews are like currency for podcasts like ours. So here's my weekly passive aggressive request to leave a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms review page. We will see y'all next week.